Welcome to 2024. With the 2024 election on the horizon, the wars in Gaza and Ukraine, and numerous other foreign policy and domestic news stories, it's never been more important to stay informed. The DSR Network has you covered, with experts across all of these stories, to bring you the analysis and commentary of the stories that matter. Later this month, the DSR Network will introduce the TNR Daily, featuring Greg Sargent, formerly of the Washington Post, and a close friend of the show. Don't miss a moment of our coverage. Become a member of the DSR Network today. Members receive exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to attend DSR live events, a members-only Slack community, an ad-free listening experience, and more. For the month of January, receive 50% off your first year of membership. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code DSR2024 at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code DSR2024. Thank you for your support. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to DSR. This is It, the Mothership, the big podcast, the one we do every week in which we talk about foreign policy and national security policy with some of our very, very best friends. Uh, and that includes Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University Law Center. How are you today, Rosa? Excellent, David. Excellent. Glad to hear that. And Corey Shockey of the American Enterprise Institute. How are you today, Corey? I am exceedingly well. And by the way, I love the reference to this podcast as the mothership, David. This is the mothership. That's I like to I like to refer to it that way. Um uh and it's a, you know, it's a tribute to the women whose creativity and leadership have made it possible. Namely you two guys. Uh Aww. but 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 we also have with us um, somebody who's limited because he's a guy, Alan Pincus, um, uh, uh, Israeli uh, diplomat, commentator, extraordinaire, who's coming to us from uh, probably Tel Aviv. How are you today, Alan? Well, neither excellent nor exceedingly well, as uh, <laughs> as Rosa and Corey said. But I'm, you know, I'm doing my best. Excellent, excellent. Well, we've got a limited amount of time here, so I'm going to encourage everybody to. Um, uh, to sort of be crisp in all of our answers, and we'll try to cover as much ground as we can. Um, but having said that, Alon, I want to start with you, and I'm going to ask you a super complicated question that ties to your most recent column. But, you know, I just like was scrolling through the news today, and here's what I saw. I saw Jordan launched an attack on Syria. I saw, you know, the, from the other day, the after effects of Iran having launched an attack on Kurdistan uh, in northern Iraq, in Erbil. I saw Iran in the middle of an exchange of attacks with Pakistan, which launched an attack on um, Iran. Of course, Iran is behind the Houthis, 
the United States is attacking the Houthis. Used to be that the Saudis and the Emiratis were attacking them. Now it's us that are attacking them. And of course, the Houthis are attacking all these uh, ships. Periodically, the Israelis are attacking Hezbollah. We're also backed by Iran. Of course, they're in a war which some Israeli leaders now say may last for more than a year, including the prime minister, with Hamas, also backed by um, Israel. Uh, Israel's talking about um, a normalization deal. The U.S. is saying that might happen again with the Saudis. Why? Because they want to counterbalance Iran. Everybody is fighting everybody. Is this all one war? Are these a bunch of little wars? Are I mean, how sh- how should we read all of this, Alon? Well, it looks like one major regional, well, broad regional war. But actually, if you think about it, and if you look at each and every conflict, um, it's not necessarily a regional war. Um, the center of gravity here is Iran rather than the Gaza war, not to dismiss or belittle the importance of the Gaza war. And, um, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's, if you're Joe Biden and you're reading the daily, uh, uh, the presidential daily brief, the PDB, um, you might think that, you know, the hell, uh, um, you know, it's hell on earth uh, with what's going on in the Middle East, as you described it. Um, not necessarily. Now, it could get there. A, a, um, an escalation between Israel and Hezbollah could, could uh, overshadow everything that we've seen so far because of the uh, amount of uh, firepower and the precision of the firepower that would be employed. But right now, um, I see, you know, from, from an American point of view, and I imagine that's where you're going at. Um, from an American point of view, it's, it's more like a, a migraine. You know, it's a series of, of banging headaches, um, but it's not lethal. What I mean by that is that, you know, it's a distraction from uh, Ukraine and Russia. It's a distraction from China. It's a distraction from, you know, maneuvering around Taiwan and some belligerent remarks made by the North Koreans. Um, but if, a, if an Israeli Hezbollah, war can be contained, um, then all of this is going to look like just one big mess rather than a regional war. One big mess. Well, Corey, that's that's, cool. that's a relief, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> just one big mess. Yeah, I can hear Boris and Natasha from um, from Rocky and Bullwinkle saying, it's big problem. Um, but I... I Thank share. you. Thank you. We always appreciate the Rocky and Bowinkle. <laughs> You're welcome for my service, David. Um, so uh, I I agree that this isn't one big problem. Uh, Suzanne Rain has a wonderful piece at Engelsberg Ideas explaining the background of the Pakistan and Iran uh, back and forth and also suggesting that they have reasons not to let it escalate. So I, and that it has nothing to do with, with Gaza or Israel. It has everything to do uh, with trying, well, uh, with once again, Pakistan harboring terrorists, once again, Iran harboring terrorists um, and, and things regional and specific to them. So I do think it would be an, an analytic error 
to suggest that all of these conflicts are intertwined. But some of these conflicts are intertwined. I, I do think that in particular, the, the Jordan action in Syria may have, well, it's not clear to me what the purpose is. I don't think it has a lot to do with Gaza or Israel. I do think it has a lot to do with the prospects of Syria making mischief while, while other regional powers are otherwise distracted. So to the extent that there's a connection between the, all of the violence going on, I think it's opportunistic. I don't think it's substantive. Uh, yeah, the, the, the Jordanians um, uh, say that the attack on Syria actually had to do with the drug trade, and they were going after a couple of drug dealers and happened to you know, also kill their families in the process. Rosa, you know, here we have two people, Alan and Corey, are very serious, who look at seven or eight conflicts and think, well, let's look on the bright side. It's not one conflict. <laughs> um, but, but Rosa, you never look on the bright side. In fact, I'm not sure you many, know what I mean by the bright side. I know. This is, this is like a deep epistemological problem. You know, how many baby wars makes a, a big war? How many, how many little warlets make up a regional war? Um, but I, I mean, so I, to, to look on the, the not so bright side, um, as you have asked me to do, um, yeah. So many of these current smaller conflagrations have causes that are not really that related to one another. You know, that they're, they're, pre-existing tensions, you know, this is not, this is not all about Israel. This is not even, this is not all about Iran. This is not all about the Houthis. This is not all about anything in particular, but they're clearly, I don't think we should, that should make us feel a whole lot better for, for, for two reasons. One, they're already interconnected. Um, certainly in the following way, it's, 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 I, I, I may be wrong about this, right. But if it weren't for the conflict, the Israel-Gaza conflict, and the U.S.'s deep and morally uh, increasingly untenable uh, engagement and support for Israel in that conflict, I wonder to what extent some of the other things we're seeing happening would be happening at all or to the same degree. In other words, to what extent is people generally being pissed off at us and or aware that that we are distracted? Uh, a contributing factor to, you know, why are the Houthis staging all these attacks on shipping right now? You know, why Iran and Pakistan right now, et cetera. Um, it, it's, it's hard not to think that at least a piece of this, a, a thread that links all of these things is an awareness that any response the U.S. in particular and Israel might otherwise have had is of necessity going to be a little bit more scattered and muted because we're so worried about so many other things right now. I mean, that, that's one piece of it. So there's already that, that thread linking them together. And the other piece, as, as, as Alan said, um, if a conflict between Hezbollah and Israel widens, then all these things start getting linked together in a much more direct, direct and potentially much more dangerous and escalatory way. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I'd be curious to know, Alan, how, how, 
likely you see that being uh, in the in the coming uh, weeks and and months, um, because that seems to be like the big piece of this that could tip this over from, yeah, we've got a bunch of bad things happening, and and yes, they're bad, but it hasn't graduated to regional war. It's just, it's still kind of regional warlets. Um, um, and, and, and if that happens, then I think uh, all of a sudden we have, a, we have a much, much bigger problem, both from a U.S. perspective and needless to say, from the perspective of everybody who lives in that region. Yeah, it reminds me of one of those videos I see a lot of where you say, well, here's the mother war, I guess that's Iran, and her little warlets out for a first walk um, together in the jungle. Um, but it you know, it, the, the, it, it also reminds me of the conditions that are around the area where we sometimes find um, quarry in, in California, where you've got little isolated fires, but the wrong gust of wind could turn them into one big fire. You know, if that Iranian Revolutionary Guard missile had hit the U.S. consulate in Erbil, if a Houthi attack on some tanker had killed 25 people who happened to be from the U.S. or from some other um, country that is uh, inclined to respond, uh, if Israel responded against Hezbollah in a particular kind of way that was seen as escalatory enough to make Hezbollah respond back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, any of these things, Alon, could trigger escalation in all of them, right? Yeah, well, okay. So let me say let me say two things about this. First of all, uh, um, and I understand this, the U.S. being a superpower and all that, but but your definition of the Middle East is far broader and 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 more expansive than ours. You include Afghanistan as a Middle East issue. Well, you, you we don't. I mean, yeah. we are very sophisticated. Corey and Rosa and I consider yeah, that we're too sophisticated at the for very. <laughs> At the very outer I'm limits of the greater Middle East, and Pakistan talking, is certainly in I'm South Asia. About, are you I'm questioning? Talking Jimmy. I'm talking about Jimmy from Ohio, not you. You're, you're questioning the geographical knowledge of the average American. Absolutely, not. <laughs> it is a Absolutely great benefit I, to I, this country that two thirds of high school students cannot put Canada on a map. Hold on. I, they could. Well, they probably want to invade it or something. But what's it's, the point of too, putting Canada on a map? But the Middle East is too, Maryland, too, right? It's too small. Yeah. Canada is too small to put in a map. Yeah. But but I, by the way, I, I remember in, in the 80s or early 90s, a Jay Leno show, he, he had this routine where he went, you know, amongst the, uh, the people and asked questions. And here he was at around what looked like UCLA. No, no offense, Corey, <laughs> uh, California. And he said and he asked about six or seven people, where's the Berlin Wall? In which city is the Berlin Wall? And he got six or seven different answers, none of which included the word Berlin. America. Paris, New York. No, but my point back... You know, to there that, is a Berlin Wall of the Mind. Yeah, and you know, Alon, another poll famously went out and said, what is Chernobyl? And at least one of the answers was Cher's full name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I always wondered what her full name was. I, I, I thought that was it. Yeah, so I, I, yeah. Maybe you were the one who gave that answer. Right. And, then, and Sunny Berlin and Chernobyl. Yeah, yeah there you go. Nice. 
Yeah. There, so, there sorry. Anyway. Sorry, Alon, but you sorry, said sorry. <laughs> and you were trying to say something serious about where the Middle East is, something which we'll never know if you don't finish that answer. <laughs> exactly. So my point, my point, Rosa, is that when you say Israel is fighting in Gaza and there could be an escalation or the likelihood of an escalation, and back to your remark at the end of what you said, uh, Rosa, both Secretary Blinken and the Israeli uh, IDF Chief of Staff, uh, uh, Lieutenant General Halevi, both in the last 48 hours rated the probability of a war between Israel and Hezbollah as high. Um, now, that does not necessarily mean that it's going to erupt, but it, it tells you something, and both of these gentlemen rely on, on, on intelligence or perceptions of the other side's intentions and so on. But back, back to my, my point. Forget Afghanistan. I, I offended you. Um, what happens in southeast Iran near the border with Pakistan is not really the Middle East in terms of American policy. Um, it's, a, it's a different thing that Iran is, 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 is broad and has borders in the east and in the west that, that are tangential to different regions is one thing. But you can't expect the U.S. to devise a policy that would uh, address Gaza, Lebanon, and and the Pakistani running, or the, even the Houthi. Um, I, just, so I, my, I want to interject here that the president of the United States was asked about this just recently, and his response was, and this is how they, we connect things, um, uh, he was asked about the Pakistan-Iran conflict. He said, well, it just proves nobody likes Iran. Yeah, well, okay. Um, but everyone loves Pakistan. Well, right. no, he didn't say that. <laughs> no, but look, Pakistan has been an American ally. Pakistan, according to the CIA annual report, has between 40 to 60 nuclear bombs. Uh, um, Iran is a nuclear threshold state. Um, this, I would not dismiss this as some kind of a... Uh, you know, border skirmish, even though in Baluchistan, they're not Persian. They're not, you know, they're, they're, they're di it's a different, only 60% of Iran are Persian. But that's, that's varying. So where is this Iran you speak of? This is Iran that, is that, that is, in the Middle East? Because I'm confused. It's in the no, Indo-Pacific, no, I think. Definitely, it, it, that's it, what it, I've heard. But, but, it's in AUKUS. But, yeah, go on. But, but David, yeah, right. But David, you remember, um, in the 90s and even in the early 2000s, when the issue of Iran of the Iranian nuclear program, the military nuclear program, uh, uh, was beginning to be discussed uh, um, extensively, there were a lot of people in in, in the State Department at the uh, National Security Council, even the CIA, I imagine, that said that Iran is is needs a nuclear option to uh, um, um, to balance Pakistan. That this was not about Israel. This was always about Pakistan being a Sunni, not you know, uh, um, rather than Shiite. But back to your, uh, back to the issue of uh, um, of Iran. Okay, so one thing is that it's not all the Middle East. It's huge. The second thing, and that perhaps is an important distinction, is that Iran may have overplayed its uh, um, its its cards now. Because usually they employ their MO is using proxies, uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, to a lesser extent the Houthis. We don't know the uh, uh, the degree to which they actually control Hezbollah or 
that they listen to Hezbollah and, and respect their decision making. But in respect to Pakistan, they're, they're, and, and, in, and even in Syria, with, with, when they, where they attacked, uh, uh, well, in two places, they attacked what they called a Mossad installation in Erbil in northern Iraq. And then they attacked a Sunni militia base, which they said was ISIS, in northern Syria. This is the first time in a very long time uh, that they are doing this themselves without proxies. Now, the fact that we are talking about Iraq, the fact that President Biden said what you just quoted, David, that this just proved that everyone dislikes Iran, is not something that they would welcome. This is not the position they want it to be. So there's a good chance that they've overplayed their uh, uh, cards here. How that affects a Hezbollah-Israeli uh, um, escalation remains to be seen. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to move on from this subject because we've got a lot of other things to cover. But I will point out that it has long been assumed, just to bring this back into the Middle East, that if Iran develops a nuclear weapon, that um, uh, the Pakistanis might make available to the Saudis um, a nuclear weapon in order to counterbalance it. In other words, there was the, the, the Pakistanis were seen as playing a role in all of that, um, uh, which is relevant. But let's let's move on to another story from today that is not unrelated to that. And I'll start with Corey just to sort of keep things going in in the kind of um, manner that we've been going. Uh, but Corey, uh, earlier today. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, America's ally, our leader, a hero in the region, a great man, said, no way, two-state solution. I am against any solution in which there is a Palestinian state. Do you see that as a problem, Corey? <laughs> I love it when you pitch them slow and over the middle of the plate to me, David. <laughs> yes, of course, it's a colossal problem. It's a colossal problem for the security of Israel because I don't see how you get to a secure Israel without a mutually accepted solution with the Palestinians living in Gaza and in the West Bank. It's a huge problem for American foreign policy because there's no way that the pieces of our relationships across even the narrow Middle East that Alan recognizes go together without a two-state solution. And third, it's a big political problem for the Biden administration because it appears to me that their fundamental assumption about the war in Gaza was that in return for wholehearted support for Israel's legitimacy in retaliating for the terrible terrorist attack of October 7th, that the U.S. would have some influence over Israeli policy and Israeli conduct of the war. And I don't think that has proven true. And that is going to make for domestic political difficulty for President Biden. Oh, I'm sorry, I left out the fourth way it's problematic which is, of course, um, the countries not in Alan's narrow description of the Middle East, uh, those countries otherwise known as the Global South, uh, are really uninterested in American concerns about Ukraine, about China, um, because of the wholehearted support 
the United States government has given to Israel's war effort. Okay, I'm going to ask you a hard question, Rosa, before I get to an even harder one for Alon. Um, But building on this, uh, you know, you and I have said many positive things about the Biden administration foreign policy here. I think it's fair to say that we admire a lot of it. We admire the people who are behind it. Um, uh, But everybody can make mistakes. Is the wholehearted embrace of Bibi Netanyahu the biggest mistake the Biden administration has made in foreign policy? Um, Well, I should preface my answer by saying that I'm sure that Joe Biden, Tony Blinken, Jake Sullivan, everybody else uh, in senior positions in the Biden administration would deny the premise of your question and would say, we have not wholeheartedly embraced Netanyahu. You know, on the contrary, um, we've made it crystal clear that both in terms of his domestic actions within Israel, in terms of rule of law, uh, and that in terms of his actions in Gaza, uh, that we are extremely critical. Um, and we, we don't see ourselves as in any way having embraced him. We have wholeheartedly stated to the world and the people of Israel that we don't think that they should be slaughtered by terrorists. And that's really different from embracing Netanyahu, which is to say they're trying to do something that obviously on some level all of us should be able to do, which is distinguish between the people of Israel and supporting the people of Israel on the one hand um, and uh, supporting the uh, government of, of Netanyahu. I, I the consider them interchangeable, and I consider Alan Pincus to be Bibi Netanyahu. To be pretty much, pretty much right, exactly. They're we blame the same you, person. Alon. It's Alan's fault. Anyway, um, anyway, well, so 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 I think they would fight your premise. Um, that being said, um, I think it's fair to say from our position as extremely wise and objective outside critics who like them and yet um, are willing to say some hard truths. They sure have looked a whole lot like they were wholeheartedly embracing uh, Netanyahu, right down to an actual physical embrace from Joe Biden. Um, you know, that was a nice big hug um, that Bibi got from Biden. Um, and it's really hard to go from that uh, and to go from. And meanwhile, sure, we're happy to continue to providing to provide 2000 pound bombs um, until there is actually nothing left of Gaza and, and the Israelis need to find some other front to open, because what else are you going to use all those bombs for? Um, um, you know, I, I mean, that doesn't come across to anybody else in the entire rest of the universe as, oh, no, we are we are maintaining a critical stance and putting a lot of pressure on Israel. Um, it may look like that inside the White House sit room, um, but it sure doesn't look like that to anybody else. So, so no, it's it's an enormous problem. It's an enormous problem for Biden. I think it's I think it's an electoral problem for Biden insofar as in crucial swing states, uh, which have significant uh, Muslim immigrant populations um, um, who care very deeply about this and, and think, wait a minute, there's a double standard here. You know, sure, of course, we should be concerned about Israeli civilians and Israeli lives. But what about the lives of the people in Gaza? You know, that that looks like a double standard. Yeah, it's, as it's you know, it's not helped by Netanyahu today saying that he believes Israel should exist from the river to the sea. Right. Cool. That's great, too. Um <laughs> So now we can yeah. fight over whose slogan is or is not actually genocidal exactly. and who is just you know, exactly. stating a, a, a poetic aspiration for freedom and, and um, self-determination. But as Corey said, um, it, it isn't just um, domestic as a problem for Biden. 
I think there are plenty of publics, particularly as Corey mentioned, the global South, but not exclusively in the global South. They're all over the world um, who, who view the lack of perceived U.S. concern for Palestinian lives as a as symbolic of a lack of broader U.S. concern for the lives of all those who view themselves as less powerful, uh, both in the global South and in diaspora communities um, around, around the world. Um, and that is unquestionably going to fuel both anti-American sentiment, anti-Israel se- sentiment, um, but also, and we've already discussed the ways in which the U.S.'s apparent absorption slash distraction slash support for, for Israel may be enabling some of the current violence in, in what we will call the, the, the broader Middle East that includes stuff that's not the Middle East, but is sort of kind of closer to the Middle East than some other parts of the globe. Right. Closer, um, closer say, to the Middle East Antarctica. than it is to here. Um, closer to the Middle East than Antarctica. So yeah, so 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 in all those fronts, it's I think it's causing huge problems for Biden. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely right. This, by the way, is the point in the show where we say to folks who are just listening in, um, uh, but who are not members that, uh, you know, stop, you can go no further, um, as the troll said at the foot of the bridge. But um, uh, if you uh, become a member, it's $5 a month, at least through the end of February when the prices will go up. Um, uh, then you can listen to the whole podcast and you should do that. Become a member, support what we're doing. This is really important. You really need to hear what Alon has to say next. Um, but for now, if you're not a member, bye-bye. If you are a member, stand by. 